Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Now, thank Lord, you. I thank you for your presence that we sense in this house today. Oh. I thank you for your love that you have demonstrated mm. to us. And now I ask that you will open our hearts that we may hear not so much what the preacher is going to say, but that we may hear and receive that which the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray special blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I particularly pray for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. And I ask, O oh Lord, that you will draw them back to you. Don't let one of them be lost. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for the answer that I believe is on the way. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. One of the most common and yet most misunderstood and misused words in the English language is the word love. I've been talking for several weeks about family matters, and you can't have a conversation about the family without at some point talking about love. But the culture in which we live often distorts the true meaning of that word. We say we love our dog. We love chocolate. We love our favorite team. People fall in love, then they fall out of love, then in love with someone else. Some people seem to change loves about as often as they change their socks. But the kind of love presented in the romance novels, the kind of love paraded before us in the tabloids, is a different kind of love than the love I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about a love that doesn't say, I love you because. I want to tell you about a love that keeps loving when the feeling is gone. I want to tell you about a love that doesn't stop when things get tough. I want to tell you about a love that has no boundaries and no limits. Today, I want to talk to you about true love. Everybody wants to find true love. But true love has nothing to do with the storylines of Hallmark movies. True love has nothing to do with the indiscriminate coupling of the party crowd. True love has nothing to do with the exploitation of the pornographic industry. True love has nothing to do with the eroticism of contemporary music videos. True love consists of qualities like faithfulness and loyalty and wholehearted lifelong commitment and integrity and sacrifice and service. 
When you talk about true love, you're talking about the kind of love demonstrated by the Heavenly Father toward His children. The Bible says God is love. And in this message, I want to highlight for you three qualities and characteristics that are hallmarks of true love. And when you start to understand these as it relates to God, then I think you'll be able to understand what it's, what it's like to talk about true love in the context of loving one another. First, when you, talk, when you want to talk about true love, you find that true love must be shown. For it to be true love, it must be demonstrated. Something tangible must be given or performed to make it real. The love you have in your heart will never be communicated unless you say it and then back up your words with some tangible action. And different things are going to communicate love to different people. Many of you are probably familiar with the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, in which he identifies five different ways people express love. First of all, you remember he talks about words of affirmation, saying things to someone, uh, compliments, verbally expressing appreciation to that person, words of affirmation. Then he talks about quality time, just spending time together. But, but when you're together, you know, you put the cell phone down and you are being, you are being present with that person. Then he talks about another love language is that of giving gifts. And the gifts don't always have to be expensive, just tokens of affection that are given from the heart, something that is meaningful to the other person. He talks about acts of service being a love language, doing something for the other person, often unsolicited. You know, little things that you wouldn't necessarily think about, this is, this is showing you and telling you I love you, like, you know, fixing the screen door. or hanging a picture, or preparing a special meal. And the last one he talks about is physical touch. And what a powerful communicator of love touch is. He also talks in that book about how important it is to know the love language of the object of your affection. Because not everybody interprets I love you the same way. You know, for some people... A gift doesn't really mean anything, but if you repair the screen door, oh, what a guy. Come on, somebody, help me out here. Am I going to have to go back to France and let the interpreter dance for me a little bit? You know. But he says you've got to know how important it is and then intentionally learn and speak the language of the other person so that your expression of love is clearly communicated even when that language maybe isn't your native tongue. And the point of all that is to highlight this essential quality, true love must be shown and expressed. Well, when you look into the pages of God's word, we find that God loves us. You and I are the object of his great love. And because it is true love, God shows his love for us. See, if for some reason you ever question whether God really loves you, I want you to just take a look at the world around you because all creation sings of the love God has for you. 
You know, it's a demonstration of God. You may never have thought about this, but it's a demonstration of God's love that the earth is tilted at such a precise angle on its axis. No other planet in our solar system is tilted like this. If we were just a few degrees more upright, the center of the earth would be a vast desert wasteland and the poles would be massive concentrations of ice. Survival would be impossible. But God loves you, so he designs and creates an environment that supports and sustains your survival. God's love allows you to experience the beauty of creation his handiwork in the stars, his impressive palette of color in the rainbow, his power and grandeur in the mountains, his peaceful serenity in the lakes, his harmony in the notes of music, his sweetness in the fragrance of the flowers. Those things aren't accidents of nature. Those things aren't the end result of millions of years of random selection and survival of the fittest, but each and every one of them is a proclamation of the truth. God loves you. See, the very fact that you're alive today is a demonstration of the love God has for you. The air you breathe says God loves you. The beat of your heart says God loves you. Creation proclaims his love for you. The life you've been given is a testimony of God's love for you. Ah, but even with all that, there is a far greater way God expresses his love for you. He demonstrates it in the cross of Jesus. You know, if we aren't careful, we'll miss the importance of verse 6 of our text when it says, Christ died for the ungodly. See, ungodly to our mind is often an abstract concept. Somehow ungodly is talking about some anonymous them out there. Ungodly is all the really terrible people in the world. Ungodly is those who are from a different class and a different social set or, or those in a different culture or those who lived in a different period of time. For some reason, we have a hard time coming to grips with the fact that ungodly is everybody including you and me. The truth is, all of us are guilty of ignoring God. All of us are guilty of rebelling against God. All of us are guilty of breaking the law of God. All of us are ungodly. All of us are deserving of being duly punished for our sins. And the punishment for sin against holy God is eternal separation from his presence and death. Ah, but God loves you. He doesn't want you to perish. He expressed his love, and then he demonstrated his love. He showed his love for you in the most dramatic way possible. When you were cursed, he took your curse upon himself. When you were guilty, he took your guilt upon himself. When you were sentenced to die for your sin, he paid the penalty, redeemed you, and died in your place. The greatest demonstration of love this world has ever known isn't found in a monument erected in the court courtyard square. It isn't found in a poem or a sonnet. It isn't found in a song or a symphony. But the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever known is found stretched out on a rugged cross planted on top of a garbage heap called the place of the skull. Because there on that cross, God the Son died for the sin of the whole world so that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. That, that's what verse 8 of our text is talking about. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
The cross is God's demonstration of love for us. That's how I know God truly loves us, because he shows his love in the cross of Jesus. Not only is true love shown, but you can tell when it's true love because it is sacrificial. See, when you truly love someone, it's going to cost you. True love is inconvenienced. True love seeks the good of the one who is loved above its own comforts and security. Listen, if someone says he or she loves you, but everything in the relationship always has to be done according to his or her schedule, if they are never on the giving in but always on the receiving, if they are never the one making the sacrifice, if they are never giving in and making allowances and being inconvenienced, I don't care how much they say they love you, don't believe it. There's no such thing as loving for free. It's one of the great ways I know God loves you. You want to see sacrifice? Take a look at the cross. The entire idea is summed up at the end of verse 8 that says Christ died for us. See, there is sacrifice when the holy, sinless Son of God lays aside his royal robes of glory and clothes himself in flesh and enters our realm of experience through the incarnation. You know, we've glamorized and romanticized the picture of the little baby in the manger to the place we've missed the point entirely. I want to tell you, it wasn't sweet and gentle. It was humiliating. The Son of God came from the highest place possible to a microscopic seed growing inside the womb of a teenage girl, a human living under the curse of sin, living on a planet under the curse of sin, a curse that represented everything distasteful and unappealing to holy God. That is sacrifice. There is sacrifice as the child Jesus submits to being raised by an earthly father in a carpenter shop in Nazareth. Nazareth. There is sacrifice as the man, Jesus, lives and walks among us, subjecting himself to the confines and constraints of a human life. There is sacrifice as he comes into conflict with the religious leaders of his day. There is sacrifice as he agonizes in prayer in Gethsemane and is betrayed by one of his own followers. There is sacrifice as he endures the humiliation of being mocked and cursed and spit upon, and his beard being ripped out a handful at the time. There is sacrifice as he experiences the pain of being beaten with stripes, each one tearing chunks of flesh from his back, and the pain of the crown of thorns pressed into his head, and the nails driven into his hands and feet. There is sacrifice as he experiences for the very first time in his existence the emptiness and horrible loneliness of being separated from God as he takes upon his shoulders the sin of the world and God turns his face away. There is sacrifice as he willingly and freely offers himself as the final and complete payment for sin as he refuses to call for angelic help that stood poised to intervene as he cried, it is finished as he breathed his last and died. And what's the point? Why go through this torture? Why endure such agony? The answer, because God loves you. When he was on the cross, you were on his mind. He was thinking of you. 
everything Jesus experienced was meant for you. But God loved you so much, he wanted to spare you. So he gave his only begotten son to take all the punishment that was rightfully yours. And get this. He did it before you ever cleaned yourself up. He did it before you ever earned enough brownie points by working extra hard to do better. He did it even before you knew what was in store for you and before you wanted a way of escape. Verse 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Anytime I hear someone say God is vindictive or God is unfair or God is a tyrant or God is a disinterested party, I know immediately we're talking about two different gods. Because when they talk like that, they're not talking about the God of the Bible. They're not talking about my God. My God is gracious and slow to anger. My God has compassion that is fresh and new every morning. My God has mercy that never ends. My God has not even a hint of darkness in him. No shadow of turning. My God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. My God supplies every need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. My God doesn't slumber or sleep, but he watches over and protects his children. My God's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Nor is his ear dull that he cannot hear. My God does all things well. My God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the God I'm talking about today. Somebody give him praise if you know this God I'm talking about. Praise to his name. Praise to his name. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. True love is shown. True love is sacrificial. Finally, I want you to see that true love is selfless. The goal of true love isn't to benefit the lover, but the loved. It isn't a selfish goal. It isn't to see how much the lover can get out of the relationship. But it is giving. It is doing everything possible to do what is best for the one who is loved. When God declares he loves you, and when he visibly expresses his love through the sacrificial death of his son on the cross, I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but none of that sacrifice is for his benefit. It's all for you. Listen again to verses 8 and 9 of our text. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Do you see it? There is not the first mention in those verses of any benefit for God. It's all for you. Jesus died, and you are justified. Jesus died, and you are forgiven. Jesus died, and you are no longer guilty. Jesus died, and you are free from sin. Jesus died, and you are redeemed. Jesus died, and you are saved from the wrath of God. The benefit flows selflessly, extravagantly toward the one who is loved. God loves you. You didn't do anything special to earn his love. You, you didn't even ask for his love. 
But just because he decided to, he loves you. It's all of grace. Unmerited, undeserved favor of God. God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. God loving you and giving you an example of what true love is all about. God extravagantly offering you all the riches of his kingdom as a selfless expression of his love. The love of God isn't just for one group, it's for whosoever will. The love of God isn't for just one time, it's for all times. The love of God isn't for just one kind of problem, it's for all sin, all needs, all hurts, all problems. Through the grace of God and through the cross, you are able to enter into and fully experience that gracious love he so freely and extravagantly offers you today. Because he has loved us, and only because he has loved us, we are then able to love others without condition, without strings attached, without reservation, sacrificially, selflessly. I want you to know today, God's love toward you is true love. His love is shown to be true. His love is sacrificial. His love is selfless. And when we understand that, then the logical question becomes, what shall we do? In light of the truth of his love, how shall we respond? How shall we act? How shall we live? When I was a kid growing up, perhaps my father's favorite thing to watch on television was the old westerns. Some of y'all are nodding, so you, some of y'all watching them too, I see. Okay. Even after I had moved out of the house, every time I would go back and visit Dad and the television was on, invariably it was tuned to a station that played one of the old westerns. I mean, if you were going to watch television with Dad, you just resigned yourself to the idea it was going to be a western. Well, I don't know the name of this particular movie, it, but it doesn't matter because all the plot lines are pretty much the same. <laughs> but there's an old western movie in which a criminal is shot while committing a crime. Even though severely wounded, he manage, manages to escape, and he winds up in another town late at night pounding on the door of a doctor's house. The man almost dies, but the doctor manages to remove the bullet, and almost miraculously, the man lives. It, in the movie, there is a scene after the man is well on his way to recovery in which he is in the room with the doctor. And he says to him, Doc, you saved my life. What do I owe you? The doctor replies, you should be my servant for the rest of your life because that's how long you would have been dead if I hadn't helped you. I want you to know today that God has loved you so much that he gave his son to die in your place and give you eternal life. He has pro provided the way for you to live and not die. In light of his demonstration of love, 
What should you do? What do you owe him for that act of grace? I'll tell you. You should be his servant for the rest of your life. Because apart from Jesus, you would not only have been dead for the rest of your life, but for all eternity. Let's pray. We bow before you, O Lord, in the quietness of this moment. We don't have words to express our gratitude for the love you have given to us. Love that you have shown. Love that is sacrificial. Love that is selfless. You've loved us with an everlasting love. So today, we just one more time want to come to you and say thank you. And because you have loved us and preserved us for all eternity, we want to once again commit ourselves to being your servant, to living our lives for you. And Father, if there's someone in this house who has not yet done that, perhaps today for the very first time they realize just how much they are loved by you, how much you have given to them. Your invitation is in order to activate this love in their life, all they have to do is turn to you in faith to surrender their life to you, trust you as their only hope of salvation. And your promise is that you will not cast us aside, that you will indeed save us, both for time and for eternity. You'll give us abundant life in the here and now and eternal life in the hereafter. So Father, I'm just praying, I, without anybody raising a hand, without anybody standing, without anybody coming forward, because this is something that just takes place in our heart and in our mind as a decision of our will to you. And so we surrender to you now, Lord. Right now, here we are. We give up. We give ourselves to you. Some of us for the very first time. And some of us, we've done this before, but, but maybe we've drifted. Maybe we've wandered. We're coming back today. Some of us are just renewing our commitment because today we just realize how very much you love us. Receive your people today, I pray as we surrender our lives one more time to you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. Thank you for receiving us. Amen. Today, if you have prayed that prayer, and it's the very first time you've prayed to surrender your life to Jesus, in your heart you've done that. You, know, you don't need a sign. You don't need a feeling. You just need a decision. You need to trust God's word where he says, if you'll come to me, I'll receive you. I'll welcome you. And if you've done that, in the back of the seat in front of you, there's a little blue card that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. If you've done that today, I'd ask you to take that card at some point before the service is over. Ask for a little bit of information on the back, some contact information. 
Just check, I've decided to follow Jesus. And then if you'll turn that card in at the information desk, we have a book that we've prepared that we'd like to give you that'll help get you started in your walk with the Lord. It'll give you some next steps you need to take in order to walk with Jesus. You can also write in there if you'd like for somebody to contact you, somebody to pray with you. Maybe you have some questions and someone will be in touch with you this week. Use that as, an, as, as a means of sealing your commitment to the Lord today. You know, a decision in our heart really doesn't do anything until we activate it with some tangible action. So I encourage you to take that action today.